live at, from Netroots Nation. How are you doing today? I'm good, how are you? Well, you know how it goes. I know you've been talking your heart out. I've been. You know, but you know, this. these are some important times in our yeah. history and we're yeah. live, by the way. Okay. So. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, live. Hi, live. There you go. Anyway, I'm honored to have Randy Weingarten here, president of the American Federation of Teachers. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? We're doing great. Thank like, God. It seems to me like you have a big, big job ahead of you. <laughs> with all that's going on, with people talking about CRT, people talking banning books, uh, teachers not getting what they're worth. Let's let's start discussion first of all with where is this? What's the state of our educational system right now? So look, ninety percent of uh, parents send their kids to public schools. Right. So what that says is that public schools are really enduring and important institution in this country. Right. It's been pretty important and enduring since the start of the country. And ultimately, what we need to do is we need to make every public school a place where parents want to send their kids. Right. Educators want to work. And kids thrive. So that's our job. Mm -hmm. That's what we want to do. Now, there's a whole bunch of people who I think like the, I shouldn't say a whole bunch of people, it's a pretty small minority, but they're pretty powerful, who saw in the midst of the pandemic mm-hmm. how important teachers were. Right. And frankly, how important in-person learning was. Exactly. Not only to the kids and their parents, but to society. Right. So what's happened like near the tail end of the pandemic and since is that those people who always hated public education, who want to destroy public education, who after Brown versus Board of Education, you know, opted to try to make, to to segregate schools mm-hmm. as we were trying to integrate schools. Right. You know, they, they're now, they've been on this voucher kick mm-hmm. to defund and undermine public schools. And what they do is they try to create distrust. So what a shocker, yeah. CRT. Right. We we were told by the person who invented it. They did it to scare people. You know, I, I, there's I've played that clip many times over. Why is it that it that simply seemed to not register? That in effect it was a it was always a ploy. Because I think what's happened, and whether and 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 I think it's starting to register now. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the clip itself. Right. But this is the thing. Overwhelmingly. Parents want our kids to learn honest history. Right. And overwhelmingly, parents don't want banned books. Exactly. So I think what happened at the beginning when, when Rufo started with CRT, right. when they started banning books, I think at the beginning, what they were weaponizing mm-hmm. was the anxiety that everybody had of being alone in the pandemic, the disconnection. The disconnection. The, exactly. And so I think what's happened now is when you see two year, a year, two years later, people say, wait a second, of course we need to teach honest history. Like, I mean, it's, I'm talking about the vast majority of Americans. I'm not talking about the white nationalists or, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and the vast majority of the Americans are like, what do you mean? You're banning a book. You're banning the poem that Amanda Gorman ran during the time of witches, right? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think what we have to understand and is that the pandemic created such trauma and anxiety for mm-hmm. people. And it's not just the pandemic. It's gun violence. It's police violence. It's homelessness. Mm-hmm. It's this insecurity and uncertainty. I mean, think about the opioid crisis. There's a lot of uncertainty and anxiety in America. Right. And so... The pandemic just exacerbated those inequalities. It exacerbated that anxiety. And I think it made it easier, fertile ter- terrain mm-hmm. for a demagogue 
right. to actually exploit that. Now, what can we do? Because I, I think this is important. For me, I guess, for me, it's easy to acknowledge that teachers are likely the most important profession. I mean, uh, our most important resources, most valuable resources are, are, are our kids. As such, the persons that we want to endear them to are well-paid professionals who can deal with kids. And we know uh, voucherized teachers, I don't want to disparage them, but they are lower paid and they have lesser requirements right. as teachers. Well, let's, let's do this kind of thought experiment for yes. a second. Let's, let's put aside the demonizers, the dividers, the cultural warriors. Right. Let's put them aside for a second. Right. Because you know something? Right. They're always, I mean, they're terrible they're right now. Here. They're always there. This is what I think we should be, or this is what I'm trying to do. I'm not, mm. I'm not imposing this on anybody else. Right. You actually have to meet people's fears and meet people's needs where they are. Exactly. I mean, there's two things I learned as a school teacher. Right. One, you meet kids where they are. Right. And it's not, What's said, it's what's heard. Exactly. So ah, those are the two exactly. things. As a school teacher, those are the two kind of rules of the road that I went into every classroom with. So consequently, there is learning loss. There is mental health issues. Yes. So we need to, in education, we need to create safe and welcoming environments for kids. But we also need to really focus on the foundations, the basics. So. Literacy. We have to make sure the teachers are prepared to teach reading, including phonics, right. and and have a joy of reading. That's why we've given out book, and we've given out one and a half million books in America in the last year, because there has to be a joy of reading. But we also have to make sure the teachers know how to teach reading and have the preparation to do that. And 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 so that's really important. So how do we actually? Do that get, and help get, do that. Right. Number two, let's make sure schools are fun. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm so tired of testing, 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 testing. Let's make also sure schools are fun. Let's experiential learning, hands-on right. learning. Yeah. One of the best experiential learning things is career tech ed. And do you know the graduation rate of career tech ed? 94% of kids who are career tech ed graduate from high school. 70% of them go to college. Are those some of the concepts that they're using in Finland right now? Yes. And then they're using hands-on learning in right. Finland. There you learn practical skills. Right. But so... If we really focused on reading, mm -hmm. and we really focused on hands-on learning, and then we wrap services around schools so the schools really were lighthouses right. and anchors of the community, right. think about what that would mean in terms of a powerful, powerful not only vision, but effectuation of that vision in a community. No, Randy. So that's why when somebody then says, ban books, really? If you have everybody right. in a school reading together, what do you think the person who's going outside saying, ban that book? You think they're going to get any residents? No, not, a, no. not under that scenario. Not under no. that. So that's why what I am doing, yes, we have to fight the banning of books because right. the banning of books is the banning of knowledge. Right. We have to fight it. Right. We have to fight for honest history. We have to fight to do that. Right. But my vision here is let's make schools the center of community. Right. Let's bring community in and let's do the things that we need to do to address learning loss, to address the anxiety, create safe and welcoming environments for our kids and our families, and focus on things, you know, instructional things like experiential learning, practical skills, and reading. Now, are you getting... Uh how are you going to build that support? I mean, with, with, with such a force behind the negativity right now, how do you start to build that? So, I, mean, I know you are doing a whole lot. You know, I watch you all over the place. You're working hard as hell to get this done. So what next else? week, so yeah. we got 2,000 teachers coming into Washington next week. Right. And I'm going to talk to them all about this. Mm -hmm. And this is how I think you do it. Mm -hmm. Just like a politician does a campaign, right? Let's do an education campaign. I love real that. solutions for kids and communities. I, I want to interrupt you on this. Right now, I find that one of the biggest problems are the school, the right-wing school boards that are getting elected throughout the country, who ultimately have control of teaching in the part. In, I'm in Texas, and I see what they're doing to a whole lot of the districts in Texas. 
Uh, does that mean we also need to have some sort of a campaign towards parents? Yes, of course. I mean, uh, the, you can't do a campaign. Parents and teachers have to work together. Right. And frankly, when you have like what the NPR poll from a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago said, 78% of parents like or love their kids' teachers. Yeah. So overwhelmingly, what we need to do is forget about ideology for a second. We need to bring people together over this basic set of values about let's care about the best interests of kids. Seventy-eight to eighty percent of people like their their kids' teachers. It's almost like people like their particular politicians, but in the aggregate, they hate teachers. In the aggregate, not they hate teachers, but you know what I mean. Right. In the aggregate, they think that teachers are somehow, uh, according to them, doing the wrong things for their kids. But each individual parent think their particular teacher is doing okay, which and, actually tells a story. Right? right, exactly right. It tells a story of trust. Right. And it tells a story about the effect of 40 years, starting right. with Reagan, of undermining so, institutions. And your job as the leader of a one point five seven. One, oh, you got 200,000 oh, we're, we're, we're million, million. Uh, people organization is to change that. Now, I want to ask this question specific to Texas. Right. In Texas, we have too many <laughs> teachers that have a tendency in as much yes. as the, the the Republican-led system is against them. They continue many times in Texas to support these institutions. How do you get to those teachers? To well, I think what happens is we have to create this environment of can-do. Right. I mean, look, I always say this. You can fight fiercely against something. And you can win that fight. And if you win that fight, you're in the same exact place as you started. I mean, it's great energy. It's a great, those are great fights. But we have to fight forward. And I think what's happened, you know, and we have, and I think what's happened is that people just give up. And they feel like they need to conform. But frankly, we represent a whole lot of teachers in Texas. We're the largest union in Texas. And these, and I watched the valiant, valiant fight that teachers did last year to make sure that schools were not defunded. And, and that, and that governor in Texas, because he lost that fight, he didn't give one cent to the schools. They have a huge surplus. So think, think about the priority system that all they cared about was voucherizing and privatizing schools. And when they didn't get that, they wouldn't give their kids, 90% of who go to public schools, a dime. And, and, and we have to we have to tell those stories. I know they gave away eighteen billion dollars last week. Eighteen billion dollars of that thirty billion dollars went to went to home, not homeowners, but business homeowners and business owners and to reduce the taxes paid to schools. Because what's happening is that because they wouldn't give do any of this stuff, schools raise taxes themselves. But this is but 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 we need to this is a race. Look, the teachers in America are amazing. And the kids in America are amazing. And the parents in America really just want to have good lives for their kids. We need to find ways that we align in terms of public schools, regardless of ideology. That's what we used to do before the privatizers tried to divide and divide. That's what we used to do before education became so political. And, and, and in this race between hope and fear, yeah. We are leaning into hope. Thank you. Randy Weingarten. Thanks so much. Let me tell you, I've watched all the work that you've done. Please keep doing it. We need folks like you in charge. Thank you. You too. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Anyway, politics done right, folks. That was the president of AFT, Andy Weingarten. Thank you so kind for being here. Undoubtedly. E2247 says, sound wonderful. Uh, let's see, touch you. E2247 says, teach humanities, liberal arts and sciences, uh, skew business, finance, real estate, hotel and others. Well, folks, what can I say? We hope that that is the answer. Uh, we should be having, I think, Maurice Mitchell in here shortly. I don't see him yet. 
but I'm, I'm waiting to see that he comes in. I, para ver, para ver, para ver, para ver if I have any emails to say whether they're coming. It's a blast with, with getting folks here. Anyhow, folks, um, bear with me one second. I'm looking around. Okay. The subject at hand. Uh, Lee Grant says, keep your mind open on this one, Bridge. Uh, what are we talking about? Bridge, it's the Mike Cisak want says, I dare you to go to YouTube and look up Dr. Carolyn B. Channel. I dare you to go through the research of schools and the left-wing ideology that is being pushed. I would like someone to tell me what left-wing ideology you're speaking about. What is, and I'd like that in the chat right now. What specifically of left-wing ideology are we talking about? Please tell me. Uh, Egberto, ideology is not knowledge. It's a belief system. Exactly. And your ide the ideology of thinking uh, that CRT is, first of all, that there's something wrong with CRT, number one. And number two, that CRT is in, uh, that CRT is being taught in school. It's simply ridiculous. Uh, Mike Cisak says, it's a belief system, just like religion is. It's not based on science. But let me tell you, you're absolutely right. But the ideology followed by progressives are simply based in science. From, from a heat transfer, when we talk about the environment and how things work, to when is a, when is a human being a human being? We can go over and over these issues, one by one, scientifically. According to AVQ, <clears throat> hi, Egberto, how is Netroots going? Netroots is going pretty good. Uh, it, it, is, it is better than I thought. Uh, let's see, E2247 says, I am lifetime AFT NEA and former eight years AFSCM. Any questions? E2247, it's great to see that you were a member of the union. I think every worker should be a member of the union. Mike Cisak says, CRT is being taught. Dr. Carolyn B. has been able to uncover it. Let's assume that CRT is being taught. Let's assume CRT is being taught. What is the problem if CRT is being taught? First of all, it's not. But if it happened to be taught, what is the problem with telling a truth? Not a truth, telling the truth. AVQ says, what's the core of leftist political ideology? It, is, it helps the people or the environment we support. You know, it, they call it leftist ideology. And, and by the way, Mike Cisak was correct. When he talks about ideology is something like a religion, I would, I would venture to say that progressives do not have an ideology. I would venture to say that progressives just have truth. Okay, if, if we think about the policies that progressives support, let's start with the Green New Deal. What are the concepts within the Green New Deal? One, we want to maintain uh, the, the environment. Two, we want to ensure that uh, as we maintain the environment or as whatever we do is done in an equitable manner. Shall we continue? Uh, three, we want to make sure that as, as we speak about environment, as we speak about uh, social justice and all these other issues, we want to make sure one thing is very important, that it cuts across all, all, and notice what I said, it cuts across all demographics, that no one is put ahead of the other. Daniel Ledo, according to Daniel Ledo, he says, science once told us blacks were inferior. I, you know, why I love, why I love Daniel Ledo is he always wants to take something into a racial degree. So blacks are inferior. Mm, wow. You know, let, let's talk a little bit about that. What's the genesis of humanity? What's the genesis of humanity? Think about that for one second. Then we can start to discuss inferiority. No, uh, the, 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 the genome that determines what a human being is, believe it or not, has very little to do uh, with the genes that provide pigmentation. So anybody who has told you that uh, likely needs to take a course in science, Mr. Ledo. But, you know, I don't know that I expect you to do that, but I will still stand with you. 
I will still protect you and in many times protect you from your own uh, way of thinking. What do you say about that? Eric says, too much money is Green New Deal. If you think there is too much money in keeping humanity alive, I would say um, maybe you need to get your priorities straight. If you think the Green New Deal costs too much, but you refuse to see the cost, there is these things called, um, not ancillary costs, but there are these things called um, externalities. Externalities are what occur that you never expected to occur based on something that you're doing. Uh, so I don't think so. I think you would have that all wrong. Where is my 3.30? I, th I think we're supposed to have Maurice Mitchell here, but he's not here yet. We'll see if he shows. Um, let's see what else we have. In two minutes. Okay, great. It's Maria Cooper. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, anyhow, let's see. Eric Hay says, bankrupt America Green Deal. I think you need to learn the definition of bankrupt, okay? You have been taught a fallacy about how an economic system runs. You cannot bankrupt an economic system based on a sovereign currency. Okay, Eric Hayes, I thought you were an accountant. You cannot bankrupt an economic system based on a sovereign currency. And why is that? Because that sovereign currency, that country that controls that southern currency determines the value of that money. Period. Punto y final. Okay? There is no doubt about that. Uh, Egberto Willis. They are speaking about the indoctrination of the kid with radical leftist sexual ideology. Trans is girls' room. Look, trans is one of the least things we need to worry about in this country. All right? We don't have to worry about trans kids because they, in most, ki in most classrooms, you won't, in most schools, you won't find an identifiable trans person. This is something to distract you from doing what's right for your kids. That's all this trans argument is about, to distract you from what's important for your kids. You are so concerned about trans, you are so concerned about your prejudices that you cannot see what's good for your kid. So I'm gonna ask you to do one thing. Just think about your child for a minute, just for a minute, and see how much that item comes up. All right, Lee Grant says, thank Egberto for allowing free speech into Netroots via PDR MAGA contingent. You know, I love my PDR MAGA contingent. I will always love my PDR MAGA. I love my PDR MAGA. I love my PDR progressives. I love my PDR anarchists and my PDR everything else. I don't think there's an issue there. Okay. I don't think there is an issue there. Anyhow, folks, uh, continuing with the program. Let's see, your side is making a big deal. I don't think it is my side making a big deal. Maywood says, good afternoon, everyone. Hello, how are you doing? Hello, Ali, uh, You're the one that's going to do the yes. next interview? Venga sentarte, por favor. Podemos comenzar con nuestra entrevista. Te sientas así, por favor. Como estás? Okay, uh, you know, since... since uh, we kind of a little bit late. I'm going to have to say, please introduce yourself. Um, you are? Well, my name is Analia Mejia. Analia Mejia. I am Mejia. executive director for the Center for Popular Democracy. How are you doing? I am doing just fine. I, I, I know that you guys are doing important work. But more, most importantly, you are centralized on three issues that actually affect many BIPOCs. And these three issues are housing, mm -hmm. the environment, and I forget the third. I mean, frankly, we work on issues that impact working class, working poor people right. across this country. So housing, access to health care, all the building blocks that allow us to right. thrive. And Wait a minute. I need ooh, ooh. to give, you know, here, <laughs> here we are. So we just jumped we right just in. We just jumped right in. We so let, let's go ahead right and start and again. And, by okay. so, and we're live, by the way. Okay, okay? great. Well, so, 
Hey, y'all. Yeah, Mademoiselle Mejia. Yes. Tell us a little bit about who you represent and what you're doing. Okay, so the Center for Popular Democracy is a network of base building, power building organizations right. across the country. It's 48 organizations in 38 states, in Puerto Rico, in DC. And our focus is the building blocks uh -huh. that allow communities to thrive. So you were saying affordable housing, right. access to healthcare, access to education, right. um, and more importantly, political power, governing power. I love that. What we're about yes. is if you are expected uh -huh. to adhere to the the rules of society, right. to the rules of our government, right. and you are not allowed to help shape them, then that's what's a phony point? deal. Yeah, yeah exactly. What's the point? Yeah. Exactly. And our, when we talk about governing power, right. it is more than just showing up on election day and right. being, you know, sheep on GOTV, right. how some candidates like to treat our communities, right. but rather we want to show up for for the issues that matter for us on election day, and then we need those those who we get elected to right. show up for us exactly. every other day. After you've elected them. Exactly. Right. In fact, no, I would say we need them to show up on our issues during the campaign trail. Actually, you know, you're right about that because too often they come, they think they mm -hmm. have the vote, they leave and mm -hmm. they're never back. Mm -hmm. Or they're afraid to yeah. talk about the issues that are keeping our families exactly. up at night. Exactly. And you know what? If you're too scared to talk about racism, you're too scared to talk about sexism, you're too scared to talk about the systemic injustice that happens in this country, then maybe you are too scared to govern and I, you shouldn't you know, get elected. And you know what? And, and that is the issue. They, they always say, let's get through this election. Yes. Wait. Yes. Wait. We're coming, yeah. to, we're coming to help you, but yes. we need to make, you know, we are always appeasing a particular mm -hmm. sect. Exactly. We're appeasing a particular sect yes. at your expense mm -hmm. for something that never ultimately comes through. Exactly. So what is your group doing to let folks know that they're already empowered to do what they need to do. So first and foremost, let me share with your audience that, you know, there are different types of organizations right. um, actually present here at, mm -hmm. at Netroots. You have organizations that are perhaps um, service organizations. Right. They provide a service to members of the community. You have other organizations that perhaps at, are advocacy organizations. Right. They advocate on behalf of a community. Right. What we do is we build power with people. I don't need to, you don't need a strong leader. You right. need the information right. to be able to engage. So first and foremost, let's let's be clear. Right. We have a system of representative government. That means that when we turn out and participate, right. people get elected. And when we don't, they don't. Exactly right. right. First and foremost. Second, there's power beyond election day. Right. There are city council meetings, county meetings. There are people who are deciding right now right. the trillions of dollars that are getting poured across right. our country around IRA. Yes. And showing up in city council meetings, county meetings, state legislative yes. meetings. That's how we're going to be able to win those resources into our community. You have to show up. You have to show up. You got to show up. But in order to show up well, right. you need the information. Right. So our base building, power building organizations across mm -hmm. the country, this is New Georgia Project. Right. This, who got uh, the first, the first senator uh, yes. elected in, I in know, Georgia. Right. Or Lucha, who has been building the political power of communities of color in Arizona for some time and every day making greater traction. Or Detroit Action, a part of the magic that has happened in Michigan to uh -huh. flip those state legislative Completely districts. blue. Yes. So those organizations mm -hmm. are available to us, right. are a center in which we can engage and build our political power so that we have governing power in America. I, I like that. First of all, I love your energy. Oh, well, and, if you, and if you can throw that energy yeah, out there to la gente. <laughs> bueno, vamos. Si vamos a hablar con la gente, tú sabes bueno, que va a pasar hablar. eso. Okay. Let me tell you something. So here's yeah. the deal. Uh, what about Minnesota? Were you guys participants in Minnesota as well? So uh, we have an affiliate called yeah. Take Action Minnesota. Did, were they involved? Because Minnesota got a one vote ab away from uh, not ha not being a, what you call it, state. And they got so much lit. Exactly. 400, over yeah. 400 years of... Uh, it's it's yeah. incredible. It uh, is the power of when our communities... Yes. 
are uh, honestly uh, our communities have been participating right. from the beginning, even despite all the hurdles. Right, right. But it is when we act in unison. It is when we organize that right. magical things happen. Here's the other thing I would say to your folks: why this moment mm -hmm. matters in particular. Right. When we look at the history of this nation, right, and moments in which Black and Brown people have gained right. governing power. Let's say right after the Civil War yeah. and Reconstruction, Reconstruction and when you have yeah. over 2,000 black men, once black men are given the vote, over 2,000 black men get elected into, into office. Not only uh, federal, All but the, state yes, as well. Yes. yes. Yeah. What do we get? Public education. Right. We get investments in our communities. We get um, bargaining power for, for farmers. Or for the formerly the formerly enslaved, yeah. and what? How is that governing power met? It is met resistance. by resistance, resistance, by a clapback that mm -hmm. takes shape in right. three key ways: yeah. violence, right. systemic disenfranchisement, yes. or machinations, yeah. and a supreme court that, that rules against and, and, the and people. The undemocratic yes. Supreme Court, because we know that the yes. Supreme Court is the only part of right our here. government yes. that isn't a democracy. So you know what I'm about to say, right? Let me finish it. Well, let's take a moment and consider where we're at right yeah. now. We have state section violence. Right. We have a Supreme Court that has been taken over. Yes. And that is actively complicit in systematically disenfranchising yes. the black uh, black and brown people yes. and our political power. And you see it over and over and over again. It's not just Reconstruction and now. Think about what happened after the Civil Rights Movement. Mm -hmm. The same thing. When, when our communities lift up their voice, mm -hmm. act in unison, and work on behalf of our collective interests. And this isn't about black, brown, white. Well, well you know, it, what is funny is the following. Mm -hmm. when, when things go right for BIPOCs, it goes, it goes right, right for, for everybody. everybody because the people included yes, there are those right. poor people, poor white that's folks right. in Appalachia that's and right. all, because nobody cares about them Say but it us, twice. Right? Say it twice. When, when we... When we right. pay attention to folks on the margin, right. we uplift all communities. And here's the thing, this people who are on the margins yes. are also the margin of victory. A, you know, <laughs> a, a, imagine that, right? Yeah. Imagine uh, that. Who knew? So, if so we only knew that. The, the thing about it is mm -hmm. that is what has to be taught. That's because right. uh, those folks that are on the margin and and, mm -hmm. and and I hate to say, but specifically like folks in Appalachia that continues mm -hmm. to vote against your interests. Uh, and for, for those folks that are BIPOC as well, that allow themselves to be coerced, not into voting wrong, but simply not voting at all or not making the effort to vote, that is what has to be So part, part of what is, what, at least my perspective yeah. is that our communities, there's mm -hmm. so much, I mean, daily existence, right. when you are trying to keep body and soul together, right. when you are trying to uplift your, raise your family without right. a safety net, without the resources that we all right. know we need to thrive. As we said, those building blocks right. of power, then of course you don't have the space hey. to to actually, to critically analyze the information exactly. that's coming in. Or, and, and to add to that, we have, you started to say, we need to, we need that information. We need to teach that information. It is exactly the reason why there is this wholesale rejection of critical race theory. Education. Of, you know, don't say gay. Yes. All of these things, they are, they, it is a two- Burning, banning books. It is a two-pronged approach. And you know, if, you, if you've learned false history all your life, Cristobal Colón mm -hmm. era buena persona. Mm -hmm. Christopher mm -hmm. Columbus yes. was a yes. great guy. Yes. And, and, and AJ, a, a Christopher Columbus was a great guy. Mm -hmm. And the fact of the matter is, wait, anybody who said, well, let's let's put it into some perspective. Mm -hmm. We're not even saying, we're not even telling the fool mm -hmm. to bring you down completely. Yes. Let's, let's just tell the story yeah, and you decide. Be, 
honest. Let's be honest Let's about be honest. Thomas Jefferson. Right. George Washington. Yes. Our founding fathers. Tell the story. Who, were, who struggled right. with the cognitive dissonance right. of pushing for freedom and owning human beings. Exactly. And they chose... <laughs> To strike a deal, exactly. To build a republic on the backs of black people. I mean, that happens. I mean, and 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 that somebody want, doesn't want that to be taught. You know, I mean, learn that we had our deficiencies, mm -hmm. and we lived and went past them. Yes. It's not all that difficult. That's right. And you know, but the truth, the problem is this: the truth makes people. Uh, when they don't have the truth, they can feel superior. Yes. But if you know the truth, you realize, guess what? We're all just damn human beings. That's right. That's, That's right. all we are. That's human right. beings, flawed as we come. That, that is right. And we are, speaking of being human beings, it is it behooves human beings right. for us to figure this out in this moment because we are not going to have a livable planet. Exactly. We are not going to have an actual Housing. democracy. We are not going to survive what is coming right. to human beings on this planet right now because the threat of food insecurity, water insecurity, an uh, unlivable planet will result in violence. It is amazing how many fail to see it. Yes. Yes. It's amazing. It behooves us to figure it out. It is, it is the most, I mean, we talk about what is the most existential or the most critical fight right. that we must engage in. And I think it is, at this moment, it is educating and connecting and organizing across communities to stop, to, to be frank, we need to prioritize people over capital over money oh my god why, why are you gonna why are you gonna open uh, another line of discussion well, young you lady know, you know let's i do mean it. why are you gonna do why are, i mean we, we can land why the we gonna, plan and do why it are we later. gonna talk about capital now you know that you must watch my program i i most certainly let me tell you something what is amazing mm -hmm. to me yeah. is that we have in this nation we have uh, we have an aversion we like to to reject the, or some of us, right. some of the powerful, like to reject the idea of collective goods. Thank you. Right? And, and we denounce it as socialism, or we denounce it as un-American. Right. And we say capitalism is, you know, unhindered right. will set us free. Well, first of all, capitalism left to its own devices sold people. Yes. Let's not forget. And... The bottom line is that our humanity, like, I don't eat money. Right. Right? I don't breathe money. No. My children will not you thrive. You can't eat it. No, you cannot. Yeah. So if we are prioritizing, if we're allowing by our silence, by our lack, lack of activism, or by not calling the question on elected officials who are very content to prioritize their, their fundraising right. to their constituents, right. then all we are doing is putting all of us in peril. History has told us that that is what will happen. This movie, we have seen this movie before. We know how it yes. ends. And it is the moment for us to act. And in the past, what got us out is organizing. And that is what is going to make Let's, it happen again. Ooh, I see we have uh, we, we, royalty we, in the, in the we, house. We have royalty in the house. <laughs> well, you know. Hold on in. I well, think no, I'm going to No, 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 no oh, wait. Okay. Let, let, let's close. We're coming right now, Maurice. Uh, let, let me tell you, first of all. Yes. It, has been my pleasure, Ms. Oh, Mejia, to speak to you. And awesome. we, we have you. to do this again because yeah. very few people understand these concepts in the aggregate. Well, they, I, they feel it. Well, you're about to have fire come I know at I'm about you, to have so, fire. They so. feel it. But you know what? You bring it. Well, I Thank appreciate you so it. Thank you so much. For having been Thank on you so much. Done, oh, right? well, I appreciate you know, the, it. The, yep, yep, that I got there. it. And, you I know, we, we got to talk again because that's a very important right. subject and we need Let's to it. move it forward. All okay. Right. All right. Leave, you. Put your card there so I can make sure and get you on my, my, my thing. Okay. I will make sure. Maurice Mitchell. Oh. You know, uh, well, you, know, you know, you see, the guy, Maurice is late and at the same time he's taking pictures. <laughs>
You know what I mean? Multitasking. Mr. Mitchell, my brother, how you doing? Come on in, man. Have a seat. You're live. Anyway. Oh, we're live? Yeah, we're live, man. Live and direct. Live and direct. Folks, let me introduce you. Maurice Mitchell, who is the chairman, director, president, what you want to call it, our national director of the Working Families Party. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. Well, you know, um, the last time we spoke actually was before the pandemic. Yes. And, um, you know, things were, there's a particular, there's a particular talk that you gave about if, don't tell me that there isn't, uh, that, that you want to be non-ideological because being non I, I'm paraphrasing, being non-ideological is in effect ideological. Expand on that for me. Okay, well, we're going, going right we're into going it. right into it. I mean, I think there, in our discourse, there's... And I'm sorry, Mark. Okay, no problem. Yeah. So in our discourse, in like the popular discourse, in a lot of like the mainstream discourse, there is this illusion that you can be non-ideological. Right. Right? And oftentimes, when people speak um, derisively of ideologues right like they're often talking about people on the left actually right. especially inside of the democratic party right when when they're debating ideology right and i think that that is outrageous right. for a number of reasons number one it is assuming that the people like let's just take the democratic party then i'm right. going to go broadly right but inside the democratic party when you hear these debates it assume it's making this assumption that people that are called quote-unquote centrist and right. i hate that term yeah right um, that they don't have ideology, right? Right. That they're they're sort of like blank slates ideo uh, ideologically, right. when they're advancing a very particular ideological worldview exactly. of incrementalism, of neoliberalism. This idea that the markets can take can kind of handle all the issues that we right. face, even even these big existential issues that we face. That is a particular philosophy and a particular ideology that is informing public policy, informing debate. So we should name it. We should surface it. And we should have that philosophical debate instead of denying the debate by claiming that there is an ideology. And there's a reason for that, because they they have succeeded in having their ideology be the common sense. Right. Right. So you don't have to really like surface it when it's just in the air. Right. Which is why it's so important for those of us that have issues with it, for those of us that believe that there's huge fallacies and there's more of us than them, right? right. Most By people, far, yeah. most people believe like, hey, this stuff isn't working, right? We may not have the ideological terminology in place. Right. Most of us are like, the system isn't working. Um, big business doesn't work for us. Uh, politics are corrupt. Wealthy people and corporations have more power and influence that, that than they need. Well, there's actually an ideology that puts that in place, right? Right, and we want to have that conversation, and they don't want to have that conversation. They're scared of the conversation. Absolutely, yeah. Which is why we even have this fallacy that there's such a thing as being non-ideological, right. right? Or that there are this both sideism, right? Right. Oh, I hate that. The yes. both sideism that. There's like a far right and a far left, and there's problems in both of these extremes, and we need to meet each other in the middle, right? right? When, what I always like to say is like, look, the right and the left are not equal, right? <laughs> right? You have a right and you have a far right that is violent, right? that is authoritarian, right. that is anti-democratic, then in some, some forms of the far right are fascistic. Right. And as much as I could see, the, the worst thing you could say about the left or like the far left is that, yeah, um, sometimes people on the left could be really annoying. Yes, right. Yeah. And unless there's a way that you could weaponize being annoying and people could be annoyed to death. Right. We should not be both siding these things. Right. Right. When people on the far right are actually organizing and militias are storming the Capitol, are trying to use public policy in order to prevent democracy from existing. Right. We need everybody people who identify as progressive, people who identify as centrist, people who identify as conservative, recognizing that there is a particular strand of right-wing ideology that seeks to destroy all other ideas. Right. And we cannot tolerate that, right. right? And so we could only have that conversation if we're explicit about the fact that 
everything in public life is, a, is part of an ideological right. what, project. What your belief system is. Yes, it's your belief system. And like, you know, the, the term ideology might be confusing for folks. It's just like your belief system. Right. It's just the thing that you use to understand where we are and where, you, where we want to go. Everybody has one of those. Right. Some of them are more coherent than others. Some of them are more more consistent and and um, clear than others, but we all have them. And if you think you don't have them, then likely you're replicating the dominant status quo worldview. Because you don't really have to talk about having an ideology because the system is you. Yes. So if, if you think you don't have one, then the things that you're doing are likely exactly. replicating the status quo. And what the status quo says is the systems that are in place the racial and class hierarchies that are in place, uh, the inequality that's in place, right. those things are fine. Right. And we want to lock them in place. Right. And so by carrying on in a non-ideological way, not being curious about your grounding philosophy, you are putting in place and reaffirming that thing. And you should be aware of that. You shouldn't think that what you're doing is neutral. Right. And that's why I, I said that when I said that and why I think it's so important. I actually wrote about this. Right. Um, we need to be clear about who we are ideologically as organizations and as individuals. And I actually believe that the more ideological we are, like the more clear we are about our grounding philosophy, right. the, the, the better it is in society. Because then I could say like, oh, this is where you are. Right. This is where, where I am. This is where we can collaborate. This is where we have differences. Mm -hmm. But when everything's all mushy... It's really hard to do that. And that is actually by the design of the people you know, at the top of the hierarchy. Mushiness is increased in entropy and, and all of that is what is needed. In fact, profit is made on people not knowing stuff. That's why we don't have Medicare for all and all of that. The, 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 the issues that you have when there's so many choices to not real choices, right, but, not real choices. but that's what occurs. Now, I, I said I wanted to talk something about it, and a lot of people would not really tie these together. First of sure. all, we know that the working uh, families uh, organization, I mean, the working family party, party yeah. I always mess up. Yeah, that, yeah. Sure. That, that we know what uh, that it stands for, livable wages and all the good things that uh, yeah. progressives know most Americans want. 60, 70, 80% of Americans. Yes. yes. Something is happening now with, called AI. Yes. AI is going to affect, at, for once now, the class that thought they were unaffectable, if mm -hmm. that's a word, mm -hmm. are suddenly going to be affected because writers are going to be replaced and mm -hmm. all of these are going to replace them. Now, people are scared. Yeah. I am not scared. I'm, in, I'm saying we can embrace AI if we had it done in a format that's honest. In other words, AI is nothing more than productivity increases. Mm -hmm. If productivity increases is simply for the wealthy, then it's a problem because, yeah, not only the working class loses jobs, but now the regular folks lose jobs. However, if we have policies now that says, by the way, AI was a composite knowledge of us all. Mm -hmm. And as a composite knowledge of us all, yeah. we should all partake in that, it, that you don't need 50 operators, you only need 10 operators now. Well, we probably need to reduce the work week by 50% or, or mm -hmm, 60%. Mm -hmm. If we look at AI as the composite knowledge and meaning we need to work less, it would work. But in a capitalist system as we oh, have it today, yeah. Yeah. So, the yeah. spoils are going to go, yeah. you know, work. This yeah. question comes. Yeah, okay, let me hear the question. Coming. Okay. The question is coming. How is the working families, parties, and others, instead of fighting AI like I've seen in the unions in, in Hollywood, etc., use AI as a matter of saying, no, what it means mm -hmm. is this composite knowledge, the productivity from this composite knowledge needs to be shared. There are two ways to skin a cat. Okay. Stop it yep. or... So let me, let me reframe that a little bit, yes. right? So I don't think there's any real stopping of technology. No way, right? yes. Technology is a tool, right? right? The thing that I'm curious about is who's wielding that that tool? Power, yes. Right. The other the other questions I'm I'm curious about is that who is realizing the upside from yes. engaging that tool, and if there is a downside, who has to hold the downside? Right. It is a system question. Right. Right. If if the people who are wielding that tool are people who are already privileged, people like Silicon Valley VCs and others, yes. and if 
they are also the people who will realize the upside. Yeah. And then the downsides will be will be held by all of us. Mm -hmm. Then number one, that's called capitalism. Yes. And I think we're on the road for AI to do that. Not because it's AI, but because we're it's we're living under system. this economic system. Right. 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 Now, so the question is, how can our organizing leverage this moment right. when workers are realizing their power, right. when actors are going on strike, writers are going on strike, um, you know, UPS drivers are going on strike. Um, how can we how can we take this moment where where AI and automation and robotics are sort of reimagining work? How can we use that as a as an occasion to lead? Right. And so what I'm interested in, what is going to be the social justice application mm -hmm. of this technology, right? And then also, what are, the, what are the systems applications? How can we perhaps have a different economic system, right? Where, all right, if this technology, right, is creating more productivity and creating more value, right. how can we realize the value? Because when you look at all of these technologies, right. From automation to AI to exactly. right, they're leveraging the commons. Hey, that's my right? point. So they're yes. leveraging the commons. They're leveraging what is our common value, right? For example, AI is just like the pulling in knowledge from the, everybody. Yes, yeah. from the internet, just knowledge from everybody. Things right. that maybe you wrote, exactly. things that I wrote, right? right? Just sucking it up and making a, a, a model out of that. Right. But then a, a handful of white men in Silicon Valley are going to be the ones that benefit from the total knowledge of the... So how can we have public policy in place, right, that says, if we're going to, if we're going to realize these benefits, perhaps, mm -hmm. from automation, from uh, the attention economy and, right. and these algorithms, from AI, all of these tools, how can the public policy be, be put in place to ensure that the, the wealth and the capacity that is derived from these things benefit the commons that actually built these things. And a lot of these things, like a lot of these, like for example, like Elon and Tesla, right? They didn't like do Tesla, anything, yeah. But, but you know, like, what, like, like first of all, Elon didn't start Tesla, right? right? But yeah. that's a whole other thing. Yeah. But Tesla benefited from a huge government Government grant, contracts. Government contracts, right? That's one of the reasons why Tesla's Tesla, right? Yeah. And then like, so many things we, we overlook as part of the commons, like the interstate highways, the internet, the infrastructure, right. the internet, um, a lot of the research and development coming out of our public uh, institutions, our public universities, right? So the public is creating this infrastructure and the groundwork for these businesses and for these VC people to be able to even benefit, right? And, and there's the public knowledge on the internet was yes. created by us. There should be public policy put in place, and it can't just be U.S. because this technology is everywhere. Everywhere, right. global public policy put in place to ensure that we, as humanity, can actually benefit from the from the capacity that's being built from these technologies, and that is on us and our organizing. And we need to to constrain these corporations to hold them accountable to make that happen. I am glad you said that, and I, because one of the things that I, I've been putting AI into the productivity domain and the and the commons, you know, because that that's where it comes from. But if you if you watch the news and watch most of the organizations that get play, we don't hear that message, which is something that I think is important. And I think it is on us; it's on progressives to change the narrative because the AI narrative is not what you just said, which it is. And to put it bluntly, AI is just one technology. But from the building of the cars where all this money goes to a few, to every technology that we've had, it has always been the technology of the commons. Mm -hmm. It has all to everything that you see here technological. Yeah. Uh, even when Intel built the processor, it wasn't on just Intel, but it was on the person who understood materials. It was on the person who understood all these things. And I'm glad that you're putting it that way. My next question is sure. how, how do we nationalize, internationalize the message beyond what the mainstream media will do? And you say, I have the answer. I want to see if you, what you are going to say okay. about that. So. So you have the answer. Yes. Okay. Well, I'm curious what your answer is, but you know, I'm I'm a I'm a broken record, right? Yes. So ultimately, I think 
through our through our organizing, right? Right. We we need to have a popular conversation right. about these basic facts. Right. You started off with ideology. Right. Right. We're we're often kind of confused about these things. Right. Right. So even though even though all of the value of an economy comes from us, us just right. like regular people right. doing what we do. And and how do I know that? Well, if one day every single uh, fund manager um, died, <laughs> died. Let's let's get no, out no, there. right. Yes. Our our economy, our way of life will go on in perpetuity. Yes, if that happened tomorrow. Right. And the reason why we know this for sure is because we all experienced COVID. Right. We all experienced that. Yes. And then the paradigm that somehow placed these titans of capital on top and all of us right. on the bottom, they got flipped. Exactly. And everybody rep understood yes. the value of the, the, what do they call it? The quote unquote frontline workers. Yes. Right? All of, those, all of that frontline work yes. is the actual work that perpetuates our economy every single day. Right. You know, from food delivery people to nurses, right. to doctors and orderlies, to sanitation workers, right. to the working class, right? Those folks, we're not really sure what they do or what value they actually bring into the economy. And they're like, you know, either like the people who are like developing more and more Baroque sort of financial products that mm -hmm. are based on other financial products that are based on other financial products. Right. But the person that's actually like, like, yes, like it's so abstract, yes. right? Yes. Um, that it's really even hard to understand what's being bought and sold and everything else. Right. Like at the end of the day, we weren't concerned with them and making sure that they could work every single day. We were concerned with how can how can the food delivery person, how can the people in uh, working, working behind cash registers and groceries, how can nurses, how could. Right. So the point I'm making here is that we need to have a proper a proper frame, mm -hmm. a proper ideological frame right. to have this conversation. If we are the ones that are constantly the people who produce the value in this economy, then it's only natural that, that we should receive the, the benefit from the value that we put in. How are we putting in all the inputs, but some folks who actually aren't- in, That don't even know how to do it. Right, how are they the ones that are, so with this question around technology, AI, robotics, you know, on and on and on and on, to me, the fundamental problem is the economic system. And once we realize that, then we will organize. Right. And we will we will organize. And I think the biggest, the one thing currently, as long as we have a oligarchic form of democracy that we could, right, we could use that in order to, this is what we do at Working Families. Right. We believe that working people should govern, not the wealthy, not corporations. We should use the limited purchase we have on democracy to commandeer government, exactly right, so that we could create public policy in order to constrain capital, so that we could ensure that we realize the value. Uh, everyday people realize the value of our economy. What does that look like, right? A, a robust public health care system, including mental health. A robust, top class educational system from K to university. Right. The commons, parks, and libraries, and like. We we are the wealthiest country in the history of countries, right. right? And so there's enough wealth for all of us to experience that. It's the public policy because we have a corporately captured um, uh, corporately captured government. It's the public policy that is so skewed to those to those VC people in Silicon Valley and the already wealthy and the corporations. And the one thing that we have is our ability to to be able to to seize control of the government and then create public policy, policy in order to constrain those folks. And we should use that. Also, as workers, we should use our ability as workers to organize together and be able to, that thing that I talk about, the inputs that we're putting into our economy, our labor, exactly. organize our labor in order to demand from the corporate class and from the wealthy the conditions that we want, And which is why I'm so excited that that the Teamsters are look like they might strike. On UPS. Right, yes. on UPS. That, that actors are on the verge of striking, that writers are striking, working people are recognizing the power, recognizing, oh, I have something, I have my labor, this thing that's so valuable that, yeah. that the ruling class takes for granted. If we organize together, Maurice, we can change the, the conditions. We are excited about this. We're excited yeah. to have you. 
you have another appointment. All right. And I don't want to break the promise. So thank you so much. It was so good, brother. It's been, been too long. Absolutely. So thank you for being on Politics Done Right, man. Absolutely. And can I just make a shout out? Absolutely if, do if it. If anybody's interested in organizing with us at the Working Families Party, uh, the best thing you could do is you could either text WFP to 30403 or find us at Working Families on on Twitter, on Instagram, on all the social media, or go to our website, workingfamilies.org. Thank you so kindly. Thank it's you, been brother. a pleasure every time. Absolutely. And we must do this again sooner Let's than do it. the last time. Okay? All right, take care. All right, take care now. Thank you, guys. That has been Politics Done Right. You know how I end this baby. I am what? Out. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.